is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. One of the top scientific minds in the country with us again, Dr. Fauci's boss, Dr. Francis Collins, physician, geneticist, director of the National Institutes of Health. We'll ask him about the CDC mask guidance and how we bridge the divide between the vaccinated and those who refuse. With the relaxed masking from the CDC, is it time to finally also cut the temperature checks in the stores and restaurants and hair salons? There's a doctor that says yes. And again, the guidelines also that comes pressure for businesses to enforce the mask rules. They got to be the vaccine police, the mask police. That could lead to more confrontations and in some spots it already has. And signs of a summer economic boom. We'll talk the economy a little bit later on. First, though, Dr. Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health. Thanks for coming back with us again. First off, your thoughts on the mask guidelines, because there's been a lot of confusion. They're not wearing them at the White House, but here in L.A., we've still got rules. You go into Starbucks, you got to wear a mask. Can, can you walk us through this? First of all, let's say this is really good news, even though there may be some complications and difficulties in figuring out how it applies in every situation. But gosh, people, let's just take a minute and say, wow, the CDC basically said, if you're fully immunized, uh, you can take your mask off, not just outdoors, but also indoors, unless you're in a really crowded situation or you're on a bus or a train or a plane or in a hospital or a few other places. That's pretty liberating uh, for those of us that are now able to do that. So in between wondering like, well, what about this and what about that? Uh, let's just uh, smile for a minute. Okay, now I'm done smiling. <laughs> so yes, it did, of course. Uh, CDC has a tough job, right? They, they've got to make recommendations for the entire United States of America. And things are very different in different parts. Uh, you all in LA, uh, you know, you're doing great. Uh, your number of cases has gone way, way down. But you're also really worried about that not coming back again. So you have to listen to the state regulations and the local ones. And uh, well, for tribes and territories, that fits in there too. And some businesses will have different rulings and those take precedence. This is a start to kind of getting everybody together, but it probably won't be completely uniform for a while because we still do have more disease in some places than others. But I would say... Go to the CDC site. If you go to their site and type in choosing safer activities, there is a diagram there. I'm a guy who likes uh, diagrams and not necessarily just words that shows you uh, what is safe. That's green. Uh, what is a little bit dangerous, which is yellow, and what is least safe, which is red. And you need to wear a mask in those situations. And it's gotten a whole lot better as a result of what just happened. All right. So, uh uh, I'm smiling, although Mike can attest to the fact I have a little smirk on the left side of my, my smile right now. Because, a perma smirk. <laughs> a perma smirk. Uh, uh, only because here's what kept coming up yesterday about the mask uh, thing. Uh, I kept hearing people on TV, radio saying, wait a minute. So if we're vaccinated, we can go into, say, a restaurant, which may have, you know, depending on the restaurant size and the capacity, 50, 60 patrons. And we're okay what is it about an airplane where we have always been told the air filtration systems are just, you know, top notch? If we're vaccinated, why can't we go in an airplane without a mask? What's the answer to that one? 
I think we may get there. Again, this just happened yesterday. Everybody's kind of got to rethink and readjust. Obviously, there was a lot of concern about airplanes as confined spaces where people are sometimes elbow to elbow for hours at a time. Uh, so I think the airlines will want to reconfigure their circumstances and think about what they might want to do differently. And remember, this mask or uh, recommendation is for people who are fully immunized. And that's not everybody. Uh, we're getting there. Uh, we have like 50 9% now of the people in the U.S., adults who've had at least one dose, uh, but that's still got a ways to go. So as people think, oh, I'm liberated, you're liberated if you're fully immunized. Otherwise, you still got to be careful. Do we expect this to actually make people who are hesitant or whatever it is go and get their shots? Because, they, you know, if it's the honor system, I mean, I can just say that I've had my vaccine. So what happens then? And you know, it's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I would think if I was somebody who'd kind of been on the fence or in this sort of wait and see mode, and now this is happening, and I can appreciate that people who do have full immunization are running around saying, I'm free at last, that I might want to feel that way too, and, and decide, okay, I've waited long enough. I'm going to roll up my sleeve. I'm going to join the folks who are part of the solution. I'm hoping some of that's going on, but for people who are deep deeply resistant, who haven't been wearing masks anyway, uh, they may blow this whole thing off as not relevant to them. That's really a terrible tragedy because they will continue to be the folks at risk themselves for getting sick, maybe very sick, maybe even dying from this disease at a time where we could have it over with. And they're also putting the rest of the country at some risk by not kicking in their participation to try to get us to a level where the virus doesn't have enough people to infect anymore, and then it goes away. So here we are, uh, and I agree with you, by the way, what you said earlier, that it, it is an occasion for Americans to smile anyway. More of us are getting vaccinated. Uh, the restrictions uh, are being lifted in terms of our, our movements, uh, more liberal policies with masks. But that said, as you know, uh, the rest of the world, a lot of the rest of the world, is really not doing that well. It's a virtual apocalypse in India. Brazil is doing badly. The vaccination rates in, in many parts of Western Europe, France, Germany, not what they should be. So as much progress as we are making in this country, we are a long way off from defeating this coronavirus globally, aren't we? Yeah, Mike and Charles, uh, you're quite right about that. And we should uh, have our hearts broken by what we see happening in India right now. Uh, which is on the front page almost every day, and certainly South America, Brazil, Argentina, also going through terrible, terrible experiences with COVID-19. And I, we should worry about that in a self-interested way because the virus isn't really gone until it's gone everywhere. And we could try our best uh, to try to get our country in good shape, but people will still be coming here and new variants may appear if the virus continues to run its course in other parts of the world. And we have to worry that some of those variants eventually uh, might not respond to our current vaccines, although right now we're doing okay. So, and of course, let's also try to tap into that part of us that we are all part of common humanity. And when people are suffering somewhere, we should worry about that and suffer too. So we at the United States, you know, we've had our own terrible circumstance and we've certainly sustained an incredible number of deaths ourselves. But now that we're coming out of this, we should really be turning our eyes also uh, to our neighbors and try to see everything we can do. 
current administration has moved into that zone already, sending oxygen and ventilators and uh, vaccine material substance uh, to the vaccine manufacturers in India who are actually pretty good at this, but need more of supply in order to ramp up their production. And as soon as we're able to, we have other vaccine doses when FDA releases them that are going to go to India. But there's a lot more we need to do. We're giving $4 billion right now to this COVAX effort, which provides vaccines to low and middle income countries. But all of us who care about other people uh, would need, I think, now to start to think more actively about that. Even as we're coming out into the sunshine, there's a lot of parts of the world that are still in this deep, dark storm. If we can sort of envision the summer maybe looking, you know, if we're on the same track, we can we can extend it there. But let's talk about winter. What, what do you think it looks like? Do we start, you know, seeing cases pick up in the population that uh, didn't get vaccinated? Or do we see boosters? Because maybe by that time, we will need boosters um, because our immunity would have waned. Great questions. Uh, in terms of whether we see outbreaks from unvaccinated people, well, that's kind of up to us, isn't it? It does trouble me when you look at certain parts of the country like the Southeast where vaccine uptake has been really quite limited. Uh, That doesn't look like the kind of circumstance that would be protected against another outbreak when people start gathering together in colder weather. And you could see that sort of thing happening in the fall and winter. Your other question, though, about boosters, that's not necessarily something we can answer right now. We can see that the immunity from the current vaccines looks pretty good at six months, but that's about the longest time we've had to watch. So we don't know what it would look like in nine months or 12 months. Will it start to fade and will people need a booster in order to get that immunity back up again? And of course, if there are additional variants that we don't even know about yet that might be even less likely to receive respond to our vaccines. We might might need a booster to take care of those. Those are all big unknowns. I would not say at the present time that we should expect boosters, but we should be prepared if we happen to need them. What about therapeutics? There's been so much focus, understandably so, on vaccines. There are so many people, as you know, who can't benefit from vaccines because of their own health issues for a whole host of of reasons, and of course, people who the few, but you know, the rare, but nonetheless existing uh, so-called breakthrough infections with people who have been vaccinated still get uh, some form of COVID nineteen. Have we made any real progress in the area of treatments uh, in case somebody does unfortunately get COVID? We have made real progress. It's been a personal passion of mine uh, working with industry and with academic institutions and governments to try to do this in a coordinated fashion. And we've ended up testing more than 20 different therapeutic agents. Many of them have failed, but at least they were tested in a rigorous system. So you knew they had failed and it wasn't just somebody's anecdote. We have seen success, though. Dexamethasone for people in ICU has clearly been a benefit in saving lives. A drug called remdesivir has also assisted people in the hospital. And the monoclonal antibodies, which was a big push, actually work pretty well for outpatients. You just have to give them early enough to get the benefit. And it's a little awkward to give a monoclonal antibody, which requires an infusion in an outpatient, but many lives have been saved that way already. What we really lack, though, and which is very much in the works right now, but it's a longer term effort that you can't do in a few months, is an oral agent, a pill that you could give to somebody who's just tested positive that would be very specific in stopping this virus from replicating, a so-called antiviral 
And we have a couple of pretty good candidates now that are about to go into clinical trials. And I have high hopes, but until you do the trial, you don't know. That's the future that we really need. But nobody would argue you could design and develop and test those in less than about a year and a half. And that's kind of where we are. The uh, the breakthrough headlines with the cases, you know, that's scary to people. I think there are a lot of people even post-vaccination who are still saying, oh, I'm keeping that mask on. Um, you, you can't speak for everybody, but because comfort level is comfort level. But has this all, do you think, been so scary for, for so many people that maybe they don't have the faith in the vaccine that they should? Because the thing works exceptionally well. It works exceptionally well, and not just in a carefully controlled clinical trial, but actually in the real world. We've seen that now for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, that this 95% efficacy against symptomatic disease holds up. And if you do happen to be a breakthrough, because that's that 5%, uh, those tend to be quite mild. Uh, So it protects you against severe disease and hospitalization, maybe close to 100%. So when you hear about breakthrough cases, it's good to notice that most of those are people who had a few symptoms or maybe no symptoms at all, like those New York Yankee ballplayers. And yet uh, they were vaccinated. Probably the vaccine helped them uh, from having much of a consequence from this. So people should be incredibly reassured about the effectiveness of these vaccines. We had no right to hope they would be this good, and they are this good. All right. Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health. Doctor, thanks for coming back on the show. Glad to be with you. And if somebody wants to know where to get vaccinated, 438-829, text that number, punch in your zip code, and it'll show you in a minute where there are facilities near you that have vaccines in stock. So now that we've got the mask guidelines easing, the rules for vaccinated people and the cases dropping, should businesses get rid of the temperature checks? Is there really a point to those anymore? Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, epidemiologist, clinical professor of preventative medicine at USC Keck School of Medicine. He has an article in the Daily Beast. It's called It's Time to Ditch the Temperature Checks. So, doctor, uh, welcome back. Let's talk about why we don't need these things, apparently. Well, it looks like when we looked at past studies, there was very little benefit to Temperature screening, the CDC looked at uh, travelers coming into the United States and found that one out of 85,000 were uh, suspicious for possible infection. And we know there are many different causes of fever, so it's not very specific in terms of it doesn't mean that you have COVID-19. And we also know that many people with COVID-19 are completely asymptomatic, they have no fever, or they have other symptoms. So it's really not a valuable screening tool. Well, what I guess uh, I find surprising is that uh, I can understand maybe a restaurant wanting to do it because they want to make their customers, uh, I suppose, feel as if uh, things are, are safer there. But you would think that medical doctors would know better and try to uh, at least convince their patients that all of this is nothing more than theater. Right. But, you know, as we know, you know, the medical system is, you know, very risk averse. And um, also early on in the epidemic, you know, it made sense, certainly when we didn't have any tests. And it's, you know, hard for people to change practices once, you know, systems are deployed and protocols are are put in place. It becomes routine. I mean, it was fantastic to see the CDC this week, you know, take the new data and take a fresh look at the uh, efficacy and safety of vaccination and say, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask outside and you don't even need to wear a mask indoors unless you're in, you know, transportation or certain kinds of, uh, 
situations. So we need to continually to look at our data and say, okay, this temperature screening or symptom screening, you know, asking people, do they have any symptoms? Do they, you know, loss of taste, loss of smell? It just doesn't work. And one reason that the symptom screening doesn't work is that people lie and people want to go into these, you know, events or want to go into these situations and they're not going to be forthcoming about their symptoms. Do you think some of the theater falls by the wayside now that, you know, we do have the vaccines into a lot of arms, although we still need them in more arms? I mean, look, I'm all for wiping down the table before I put my fork on it, right? Um, But the way we are still scrubbing everything when we know that touch is not, you know, the vector. Sure. And I think, you know, uh, as the epidemic wanes, I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, right? I mean, we still have a couple hundred new infections you know, a day in Los Angeles County, it's over, you know, a thousand new infections a week. There's still people, you know, coming into hospital hospitals. I mean, it's not as certainly, you know, severe as it was in December or January. So we're not completely out of the woods yet. So we need to do things that make sense. So it would make sense to me, you know, let's make sure people are vaccinated Let's check people's vaccination status. If you're an employee working in an indoor setting, if you're a healthcare worker, and let's you know focus on interventions that we know are very effective. You know, when it comes to this sort of theater, uh, theater perhaps of the absurd, uh, my favorite, uh, I have to admit, more than the temperature taking, is uh, the pen situation uh oh, yes. Where, yes the used pen I, jar. i'm, a, I'm yeah. amazed there isn't a world shortage shortage of pens uh where you go in often to doctor's offices i'm afraid again and you're you're faced with a you know like a collection of 10 or so pens in the clean category and then you write your name and then you are instructed very sternly often to deposit the pen in the now dirty bin i mean really yeah, you know, and that, that those kind of practices, you know, um, came from our understanding of other, you know, cold viruses and, you know, little kids running around with runny noses, the idea that, you know, little children would spread these respiratory viruses, you know, very quickly from uh, individual to individual. But, you know, in the case of this um infection with SARS-CoV-2, the infection that causes COVID-19. I mean, we just have not seen, you know, what we call fomites or, or pens or surfaces or boxes, right? People were wiping down their Amazon delivery yeah, boxes. Yeah, the grocery wipe, yeah. Right, keeping them outside for 24 hours. I mean, we just haven't seen any evidence whatsoever of spread. Um, so I think, you know, that's going to be less common. And uh, as we move forward, we're going to see a continued peeling back of these interventions that do not work and don't make sense. Dr. Jeffrey Klosner, epidemiologist, clinical professor, USC Keck School of Medicine. So as we've discussed, just because the CDC has eased the mask guidelines, the masking rules for the vaccinated, the fully vaccinated, doesn't mean the rules that local governments have and the businesses have, those go away. They're still here until those get lifted if they do. So lots of pressure on workers and security to enforce all that. People were already cranky when it came to the confrontations over this. So is it just going to get worse now? Brian Dodge, president of the Retail Industry Leaders Association. So, Brian, this is uh, not an easy thing for businesses to navigate. Uh, clear as mud, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. I, I think, you know, the first thing I want to say is that obviously yesterday's news from the CDC is generally very good news, right? It is telling us that vaccines work, 
and that the end of the pandemic is likely very much in sight. But to your point, this creates, a, or I would say it further complicates an already complicated situation that we have a variety of rules around the country that have governed mask wearing and, and other, other sort of protection type uh, rules. Uh, and now that we have created a carve out for people who are vaccinated, it's further complicating those issues. I think the simple way of thinking about it is uh, retail frontline employees have been asked in many places to be the mask police for the last year. Now they're being asked to be the vaccine police, and that's a problem. Yeah, how do you think it goes? Do you think it's going to be just a rough couple of days until some people realize that the local and state rules are still up? Or is this going to be a long-term thing, and you're going to be stopping people at doors or in the aisles, and then they're going to say, no, the president says I don't have to wear it, so I'm not going to wear it. And then there we go, we're off to the races. Well, I think there's a combination of things. There's there's the rules that are in place, and then there's sort of individual sentiment. I think today we're seeing a number of states around the country that are aligning their local orders to the CDC guidelines, which is understandable at a high level, but deeply problematic at a, at a micro level, because it truly is putting uh, employees in the position of being the vaccine police. There is still enforcement requirements in states that you that the businesses uh, follow these state orders and there's penalties for their failure to do so. So if if an individual state has said that you'll be penalized if non-vaccinated people are wearing are not wearing masks in your store, how on earth are you going to police that? I think it's also inflaming tensions between customers. You know, I think retailers do a good job of providing their employees with de-escalation training so that they understand how to engage with with people who are aren't are obviously not following the rules, assuming that you can understand which people those are. <laughs> uh, but it's when conflict arises between two customers and how you navigate that that's it becoming a greater challenge. Well, and and what is a store owner or manager to do? When you have a situation, and we've heard stories already like this, where, you know, uh, a customer or customers walk in and they say, we're not going to wear our masks anymore because the federal government says we're vaccinated, we don't need to. The store manager says, no, no, our store policy is, and perhaps the city that we're in says, you still need to wear a mask. How do you resolve that? (laughs) So there's training in place to teach them how to talk to these individuals. I think ultimately, you know, the, the, the best thing to do is to get them out of the store as quickly as possible. And in some cases, that's helping them find the item that they're there for and get it, getting that purchase completed and get them gone. Uh, but, you know, as we get into this next phase, it's only going to create more instances where there's a lack of clarity around why people are in the store without a mask, if there's a policy that masks should be worn in the store. So what we're really just asking is for customers to recognize that that the people working in these stores are as excited about the forthcoming end of the pandemic as they are. And if they could just work with them and honor the policies of the store, that would be good for everybody. Brian Dodge, president of the Retail Industry Leaders Association. Brian, thanks. Short break, and then the economy could be making a quick and strong comeback. How do you feel about a summer with an economic boom? Signs of that kind of recovery taking place. New unemployment claims down, businesses hiring more workers, even paying them more to bring some back. KYW's Matt Leon talks to Villanova School of Business professor David Fiorenza about the trends that uh, he says we're seeing in the right direction. Oh, we are. And companies like McDonald's are actually starting to lure employees back with a higher hourly pay uh, of 10% more than before and maybe other perks. So that is actually helping Uh, the marketplace supply and demand. There's still people that are out of work for various reasons, but companies are going to have to think of better ways 
to entice people to come back to the workforce, let them know it's safe, let them know that they may not get laid off again like they did before because some people feel burned by what's happened. I am very happy with these numbers, Matt. And you mentioned McDonald's. The main street in my town and the town next to us, you drive up and down it, and every place is not just hiring, but $100 signing bonus, $500 signing bonus, $75 if you've been vaccinated. I mean, they are really, like, I, I don't ever remember seeing throwing money to try to get qualified employees in the door. Right. And this past week, I talked to a lot of restaurant owners, small business owners, restaurants, not the chains, but the other ones. And they're actually calling on ex-employees who used to work in their places of business for waiters and waitresses because they figured, well, if I can get an ex-employee and lure them back, the training time is a lot less. A lot of those people took jobs that were more, if you want to call it stable, where they felt as though they were only going to work nine to five instead of working in night shift. And and it's a very hard job, the restaurant industry in general. Other people are waiting it out. Some people went back to school. Some people went back and for training, other kinds of training, such as a trade school, a community college. And these, those are the things we're not hearing about, Matt. And it's interesting. We talk so much about $15 minimum wage and the controversy was left out of the COVID relief bill. In a way, and this obviously isn't universal, but we're, we're kind of almost seeing a grassroots move to $15 an hour just by market forces. And you mentioned McDonald's and a lot of other places and even places that don't want to do it. If they continue to struggle to get people in, they're going to have to maybe not go up to 15, but get off of eight, nine, $10 now. Oh, absolutely, Matt. And you actually said it correctly. You said market forces. So the market is going to demand what the wages are, what the benefits are, what the hours are. Look, uh, people are, are the last year struggling. Um, so some of them made tough decisions to say, I'm either going to take a job in manufacturing, I'm going to take a job in a warehouse, Amazon, other kinds of companies that were hiring, Federal Express. And now the restaurant industry hospitality is basically begging people to come back. Retail sales, we were looking ahead last week. Uh, they came out and basically flat. I was a little surprised by that. I was too. They, they've stalled. So I did some thinking about this and some calls and research and found that, well, first of all, people's tax refunds have not been going out as quickly as they thought they would be uh, if they filed the, the forms through the mail, one thing. Another thing is that people are starting to pay down more debt. They're starting to save more. If people are getting into the mindset that there was a pandemic and there may be another pandemic next year, two years, five years, whenever it is. I have no inside knowledge of any other pandemics coming, <laughs> Matt, but people are starting to think about save it for a rainy day. Do you think the flat retails and you talk about savings, I still think we're going to see pretty big numbers as we roll into the summer. And this CDC uh, declaration or guidance that fully vaccinated people don't need to wear masks. We are about as close to getting back to quote unquote normal. And uh, I would expect a lot of people are going to be out there throwing money around. Oh, this will be. Big, and I do think it's the summertime. As you said, we've talked about it in prior podcasts, how uh, the beach areas, the Poconos, and other vacation resorts are going to be booming this year. People uh, are going to be wanting to get out. 
They haven't had that chance for over a year. And that also leads us to the areas of um, Jersey Shores, where I've heard reports where Wawa's are not opening up 24 hours because they don't have the manpower, the woman power to man that, uh, their stations. Uh, same thing on the boardwalk. So I think people have to be a little more patient this year when they're waiting in line for their dinners or takeout, whatever it is, and just be happy that we're able to get out into the sun and enjoy ourselves and get back to, as you said, normalcy. Would you visit Dracula's castle if you knew you'd leave with a puncture mark? Sounds scary, but it's not Dracula doing it. The 14th century Bran Castle in Romania, the supposed inspiration for Dracula's home in the novel, a free vaccination site now. So the puncture is the shot you're going to get. Doctors and nurses with fang stickers on are giving the shots. Castle staffers say they hope the service will bring more people to the site. Tourist numbers, they've gone down because of the pandemic. Those who get the shot will get a free entry to the exhibit 52 Medieval Torture Instruments. How nice. You can find this Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.